The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Inside Out with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic, Are We Really Connected to Each Other and a Greater Consciousness?, Dr. Larry Dossie says yes, and it matters. A guy steps on your foot. Ouch! Are you feeling his pain or just yours? It's horrible to see people getting blown up in Iraq. But is it as painful as your spouse dumping you after 25 years? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> My hangnail hurts me a lot more than those people getting blown up in Iraq, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Oneness is a great idea, but is it real? Here a scientist who says yes. Dr. Larry Dossie is a physician, executive editor of Explorer, Journal of Science and Healing, former co-chairman of the panel on mind-body interventions, renowned world lecturer and author of One Mind. And he says he knows that we're not separate, but rather part of something bigger. Not only is he ready to share his evidence today, he says connecting to One Mind is better for our world and our health. Overcoming the feeling of separateness is part of the inner revolution. So let's welcome Dr. Dossie to our show. If you've had experiences that showed you're connected to others, you are not alone. Learn about scientists and lay people alike who have experienced that too. You can also call in with your own question or comment. And now, here's Beth from the Inside Out. Welcome to Inside Out, the Inner Revolution. Well, we have such a wonderful guest that I don't want to spend too much time on the news, but we have so much wonderful news, I, I, I don't know what to do. So uh, I'm just going to go with the flow. Okay, which as you, those of you who know our show know that I'm kind of not a go with the flow kind of person. So, <laughs> anyway, okay, the first news that I want to share, uh, of course, is very earth-shattering because it's about me. And uh, what it is is that I have revised for the hundredth time the homepage of our website, BethGreen.org, which is soon going to be the innerrevolution.org. And I really lay out uh, very concisely the, what the inner revolution is about. And I just want to share that how I have it put down is I have an elevator speech in there. You can put it in one sentence or I can explain it in greater depth. But it really includes the commitment to three, it's like what we call it the three commitments to oneness, accountability, and mutual support. And if we did all these things, our world would really be different. And in order to do that, we need three habits. And these habits are courage, self-awareness, and healing. Now, most people will say, well, how is healing a habit? Well, for most of us, the habit is denial, (laughs) self-justification, right? Defensiveness. Defensiveness. So instead of denial, self-justification, and defensiveness, Let's get into the habit of self-awareness and healing, shall we? And the third point, of course, is support. And that's where we come in, where this show comes in, where our healing modalities come in, our books. And, and uh, people like our wonderful guest today, uh, these, there's a lot of support in the universe. So that's the first bit of news. Do take a look at BethGreen.org. Look at the homepage and let people know. Send them to our homepage. Help people get involved. 
So now in terms of our new nose for the news of the inner revolution, oh my God, we have some hot things that I'm shortening. The first thing I want to share with you is, you know, how many good things do we ever hear out of Afghanistan? I personally would not like to be a woman in Afghanistan, would you? Um, so it, it's incredible that today, not today, I mean May 17th, which is very recently, there's a new FM radio station in Herat, Afghanistan, called Radio Mirage, which I'm probably mispronouncing. And um, the station founder is Sakina Yakobi. She is also the president and executive director of the Afghan Institute of Learning. Now, this is an organization that was established in 1995 to bring teacher training to Afghan women and to support education for boys and girls. I mean, this is, you know, scary stuff. You know, here, when the Taliban was there, they opened 80 underground home schools for 3,000 girls at that time. And, I mean, just imagine that, you know, where you could be killed for having a book. So um, they have just started a radio station to provide people with services and awareness about human rights, children's rights, civil rights, good governance, democracy, peace, social justice, laws, and education. And I'm so happy to tell you that Sakina is going to be our guest on the show in August, on August 4th. But I promised her organization that I'd let you know about this kind of exciting thing that's happening. I mean, imagine that. I don't know if I would have had the guts. The next piece of news we have. This is going to be different from what you think it's going to be. It's that police shooting data is now finally available. All right. Now, this doesn't sound like, you know, the inner revolution, but it is. See, according to the Washington Post on June 1st, Wesley Lowry reported that two-thirds of unarmed victims of police, police shootings were black or Hispanic in 2015. Two-thirds. You know, that's kind of disproportionate, isn't it, Guy? And The Guardian, which is another uh, news outlet, said twice as many blacks and whites were, were unarmed victims of police shootings. So these reports are finally providing data that has been unavailable until now, and this could lay the groundwork for real reform. But what is so exciting about these guys and what they said, because I saw an interview with them, I think it was on MSNBC, uh, was that they're asking for an objective collection of data to benefit everyone, including the police. I mean, to be able to, for the police to be able to show how they are justified and also when they're not justified so that we can work together instead of making it a black and white thing or the them-us thing that the police are terrible. It's like, let's try to get into what's going on for everybody, for the police and for the community and see what can be done. So that makes it real inside an inner revolutionary story, I think. Now, dig this. CNN reports on May 27th, uh, mentally ill Americans are disproportionately more likely to be arrested, incarcerated, suffer solitary confinement or rape in prison, and commit another crime once released. Now, this is a reporting an old story. Uh, a 2006 U.S. Department of Justice study found the this is the following proportions of the jail and prison populations that have symptoms or a history of mental disorder. And this is back in 06. 75% of female inmates in state prisons had mental issues. 
64% of all people in jail, 56% of all state prison inmates, and 45% of people in federal prison. See, you know how the emergency room was the place where we dumped everybody who didn't have health care insurance? Well, it looks like, you know, the, the prisons are the emergency room of mental health. See, <laughs> see what I'm saying? And um, this, is, uh, this is the amazing part, though. This is the interrevolutionary part. This is the report. Republicans and Democrats in Congress are actually standing shoulder to shoulder to support mental health reform. Can you believe it? It's only 2015. <laughs> <sighs> A bipartisan comprehensive justice and mental health act co-sponsored by Senator Al Franken, Democrat of Minnesota, and Senator John Cornyn, Republican of Texas, passed unanimously out of the Senate Judiciary Committee earlier this month. Um, a bill to, simp to uh, of simple measures that would fund alternatives to jail and prison admissions for those in need of treatment. And we personally, James and I, know several people who are in prison or who have been in prison because of addictions, mental health is issues. I mean, man, this is not just talk. It's actually happening. So there's a lot of exciting things happening about the criminal justice system and cutting down our uh, jail population, which we can't get into today. I want to fly forward to the Arizona mosque site of the anti-Islam protest. You know, last week, hundreds gathered for an anti-Islam demonstration outside of Phoenix Mosque. And um, they were shouting, and their opponents were shouting, and it was not very, you know, not very harmonious. Well, the same mosque uh, had the site of a love not hate event on Monday to promote peace and inclusiveness. Imagine that one God, maybe like you know, it's time for us to stop separating over religion. Hey, that's a radical idea, right? The Islamic Community Center of Phoenix said it was hosting a gathering that includes multi-faith prayer services and speakers to show that when one of us is mistreated. Our community responds with a message of love and not hate. And that's really very cool. And what I also like is that um, there's a quote here. There's been a lot of effort to divide the faith community and set us apart from one another. And we want to demonstrate a strong message of togetherness, said Reverend, and I can't pronounce his name, Aaron Tamayo, looks like, executive director of Arizona Faith Network, which helped to organize the event. And some of the co-sponsors were the Islamic Speakers Bureau of Arizona, Arizona Interfaith Movement, and Anti-Defamation League. Isn't that cool? According to the Facebook posting. So we're seeing a lot of standing up to traditional ways of handling things that aren't working. We're seeing people, instead of trying to separate, really come together to solve our problems. We're looking at ourselves and our accountability. We're trying to become more mutually supportive. I mean, that sounds like the inner revolution to me, doesn't it? To you, James? Oh, yeah. This is great. Okay. <laughs> so, finally, <laughs> last but not least, because <laughs> I do want to get to our guest. I'm so excited to have this guest on. This is the last thing. There have been articles popping up lately and, you know, this is going to be a perfect segue into Dr. Larry Dossie and his book on the uh, One Mind. There are more and more articles coming out lately that income inequality makes us unhappy. Now, you know, those of us, you see, like I'm a mystic, 
and a spiritual teacher. So I've been feeling oneness, and I intuitively know that income inequality makes us unhappy because I've worked with people who are very wealthy, who live in very unequal societies, and they're not well. But it's what's interesting is that um, a recent study published in Psychological Science found that um, since the 1970s, the kind of inequality experienced by most Americans has undermined perceptions, perceptions of fairness and trust, which in return, uh, excuse me, which in turn reduced self-reports of life satisfaction. And, and listen to this, using the general social survey data from 1972 to 2008, we found that Americans were on average happier in the years with less income inequality than in the years with more income inequality. How do you like that? That is, Americans trusted others less and perceived others to be less fair in the years when more in income inequality than in the years with less income inequality. We're happy when national wealth is distributed more. And there was also a study recently in Australia which showed essentially the same thing. Now, this goes just against everything we're taught. It's like, oh, you know, money will make you happy and dog eat dog and, you know, look after number one and that's the only way. I think we're beginning to get it. That we are actually one. And now we have more than mystics saying this. We have people with reason and science behind them, with statistics behind them. And one of them is Dr. Larry Dossey, who is our guest today on Inside Out, The Inner Revolution. Now, I'd like to share with you, those of you who listen to our show for a long time know that we used to have guests, and then I stopped having guests because I really wanted to focus on topics of self-transformation. And now we're bringing in guests again as we have shifted our theme to the inner revolution because there are some incredibly wonderful people who have already been working on the inner revolution and we need to hear from them and gain from their wisdom and share with them and support one another. So I would love to introduce you to our guest, Dr. Larry Dossey. Are you there? Beth, it's great to be on your show. Thanks for the invitation. Well, thank you, Larry. So I wanted to talk to you about this one mind and your book, One Mind, and because I know that this is what you're teaching, you know, that we are one and we need to be mutually supportive and we'll be happier. But not to disappoint anybody, I have to ask you about something else first. You are one of the pioneers, I would say, of the integrative medicine movement uh, back in the early 70s. That was the 1970s. <laughs> for those of you who are too young to remember. And you were an inner revolutionary then too. And uh, I would love for you to share why you, uh, what you had to say then, why you said it, and what it was like to be one of those, you know, voices in the wilderness at that time. Because now everybody kind of like, oh, alternative medicine, integrative medicine, it's like becoming mainstream. But when you got going... It wasn't. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, there are several threads that I could uh, follow here, but uh, the overall issue for me was uh, two things. One, uh, my personal experiences of uh, what I call of a one-mind one uh, nature, uh, and also uh, 
beginning in the 1970s, there was just a flurry of experiments that uh, began to be done and uh, uh, in this field, which sort of nailed it down for me. If all I had to refer to was my own experiences, I would not probably have gone out uh, on a limb. But being able to fortify those and back them up with hardcore empirical data, for me, as a scientist in medicine, made all the difference in the world. I'll just give you one example of uh, what the experiences were like for me. Uh, Mind you, I I was educated uh, in the 1960s in medical school to believe that uh, it was all biochemistry and physiology as far as mind and consciousness were concerned. Everything that we call consciousness in mind were confined to the brain uh, and don't give me any of this Southern California woo-woo mystical stuff. Uh, That's my background. Uh, Imagine my surprise when the first year I was in medical practice, I had a series of what we call precognitive dreams in which uh, I saw in the dream uh, events which would later play out the next day in patients. These were so detailed and camera-like in quality that uh, I just simply could not dismiss them. And, and soon after that, when my, many of my patients began to understand my interest in this area, they began to tell me their own intuitions and even dreams in which they would see the inside of their bodies and come to me with no symptoms whatsoever, but say, look, it was the most vivid dream I've ever had. I know what's going on. And we would do tests, and sure enough, that's what would be happening. Wow. So there was no way I could really uh, escape. <laughs> <laughs> Dismiss. <laughs> it, it, it's it's as if a door was opened and I was shown something that had been denied possible during my education, and it was left up to me to either walk through the door or not. I felt as if I could not uh, uh, refuse uh, entering that domain, and uh, as they say, the rest is a uh, sort of history. Well, I, you know, we're going to have to go to break in a minute, and then we'll have a long stretch. But uh, before we do, I have to ask you this: at that time. Did you have much support, or did you feel pretty isolated? It was very lonely. Uh, mind you, this was in Dallas, Texas, which uh, was heavily fundamentalist uh, Protestant. Uh, we said that we lived not in the Bible Belt, in the, but in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Oh. Uh, so there was uh, very little uh, support for this sort of uh, uh, position. Uh, I was blessed by having a wife uh, Barbara, who went on to write uh, almost 30 books in alternative medicine and nursing, mm. she was my main support system. So she and I really evolved on this journey together uh, over the course of about four decades, and uh, we're still going strong, I'm happy to say. I love that. <laughs> Bless you and your wife. So um, I'd like to ask you just a little bit more about what this experience was like because people need courage. You know, I was talking about one of the three habits of the inner revolutionary is courage and support. And uh, I'd love you to talk more about how you had the courage to do this. But first, we need to go to station break. But guys, you stick with us because there's lots more to come. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Revolutionize your life and your world with a new attitude and a new way of being. Learn how at www.bethgreen.org. At Beth's website, 
you will find effective tools, processes, teachings, and more to help you become the person you want to be and co-create the world you want to live in. Sign up for Beth's newsletter and get a free PDF of her comprehensive book, Living with Reality, a manual for living with real answers and proven tools. Book a private 15-minute consultation with Beth that will astound you with its depth and transformative power. Learn about Beth's other books, YouTube channel, School of Intuitive Counseling, music, upcoming workshops, trainings, and remarkable community. The Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which offers all kinds of help, including low-fee counseling and free support. The Inner Revolution requires us to heal our hearts and awaken our minds. Find both at Beth's website. Again, that's BethGreen.org. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're tuned in to Inside Out, Voice of the Inner Revolution, with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Now, back to Inside Out. Welcome back to Inside Out and our guest, uh, Dr. Larry Dossey. I've already been moved by his story. Uh, I was just sharing with him that even though I read about his precognition experiences, uh, you know, as a young doctor, hearing him say it, I don't know why, it just impacted me more. It's like I could really feel him as a young man. It's like how he was brought up in a certain mindset, and then he had these experiences that just shook them up, and he did not flinch. I have seen over and over, and I bet you have seen this too, Larry, I know James has too, where people see evidence to the contrary of their belief system. But as I always say, you know, if, you know, if our experience and evidence contradicts our beliefs, our experience and evidence, reality has to go. <laughs> because, because That's exactly we, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think it's true. so nuts. I mean, it is completely nuts. That's why part of the inner revolution is standing up to everything we think we already know, because it's probably wrong. And I want to know, what do you think, what can you attribute it to, aside from your lovely wife, that, that made you just willing to look at reality instead of throwing it away in order to conform and, you know, become a successful young doctor and, and have everybody in your community love you and all that stuff. What was it about you? Well, Beth, I don't, I don't want to make myself uh, out as a hero because uh, there are times when I tried to weenie out of uh, confronting <laughs> this uh, <laughs> this reality, but I, it, it, that just didn't work for me. I, for example, I would be invited to give talks at medical schools about uh, mind-body medicine back in the early days of alternative uh, therapies, and I knew it would be a hostile audience going in, and so... I would sort of uh, compromise and sanitize my talks of the really controversial stuff, even though I believed in it. And that didn't work well for me. I would always come away from those talks feeling sour, that just I had not been true to what I knew. Uh, one of the things that really clinched uh, this direction in my life was the experience of a significant medical illness, which almost ended my career in medicine before we got started. Uh, I was afflicted by classical migraine headache. 
uh, from grade school onward, uh, uh, it, it, it manifested not just as headache and nausea and vomiting, but partial blindness. Uh, this got so bad in medical school, I actually tried to drop out, but my, my faculty advisor wouldn't let me. And then it got so bad that uh, in desperation in the late 60s, when biofeedback uh, therapy emerged on the national scene, I chased all over the country learning how to do this. And as many of your listeners will know, this involves learning how to get deeply relaxed and uh, using high-tech uh, equipment, electronic equipment, to monitor certain things in your body, like your heart rate and your blood pressure and so on. You learn how to achieve levels of relaxation that you just didn't know existed before. This was an amazing breakthrough for my understanding about consciousness because in about six sessions of biofeedback teaching, my uh, problem with migraine syndrome that had been present for almost two decades went almost totally away. Uh, wow. I could not back away from the role of consciousness as a mediator in my own physiology at that point. And it was around that time that I decided, what the heck? I, I don't care who uh, rejects this or accepts it, but it's going to be a part of who I am from here on out because to do otherwise would have been uh, exercise and hypocrisy that I just could not live with. You know, I have found that that is really the key because, you know, the... I once asked, see, uh, see, I haven't done the scientific work. I, as I said, I'm a mystic. I, I hear the vo an inner voice, and it drives me. Sure. <laughs> Whether I want to or not, I have to do certain things, and uh, sometimes I'm scared to death, but I have to do it anyway. So I had heard, like in the New Age movement and certain other places, that, you know, when you have faith, there is no fear, or the new religion, and I said, I, I don't get this, God. I said, you know, uh, that's not me. You know, yeah. I still have fear. And I heard the inner voice said to me so clearly, if you didn't have fear, you wouldn't need faith. So, yeah. Yeah. so it's ridiculous. Having faith doesn't mean we don't have fear. It means that we act despite that fear. And that's, I say that because I want everybody in the audience to really feel inspired that they too can become more courageous. It, uh, you don't have to be without fear. You, they're just, you just have to connect to something larger than yourself. You know, no, that's, I think that's very wise. Yeah. And, and we want people, because everybody has stuff that they need to stand up to. And you were putting a lot, of, a lot on the line. I mean, I remember in those days that doctors were God. Yes, uh, that, was the <laughs> that was the going image. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, talking about consciousness and the role of spirituality in healing uh, uh, was not exactly the best way to advance your career back in uh, the 1970s and 80s. But, but you know... At some point, you either you face a huge uh, fork in the road, and you know you have to choose which way you're going to go. Uh, I I had assistance, I I must say, because in the 1970s, uh, the medical research looking at the interaction of mind and body just exploded, uh, and within just a few uh, short years, I had an enormous body of evidence, empirical evidence. Uh, double-blind clinical studies and that sort of thing, uh, which uh, served to fortify my uh, my position. So, you know, I'm always eager to 
pay homage to those people who really put a lot on the line back in the 70s, 80s to explore this area because it made it a lot easier for people like me. And when I hear young researchers and young doctors complain these days about how hard it is to take a stand for these things, I, I want to say, although it's hard to, to, to make this point to youngsters who really think it's just terrible these days, I want to say, boy, you should have seen it back in the 60s <laughs> or 70s. Yes. You know, even in Dallas, where I practiced internal medicine back in the late 60s, early 70s, jogging was a pejorative term. Uh, you know, exercise was controversial. Oh I mean, this sounds gosh. crazy now, but pe- drivers would stop joggers on the street and laugh at them and make jokes about them. We've come a long way, Beth, and thanks to people like you and James, uh, uh, it's a lot easier now than it was back in the good old days. <laughs> oh, you know, I have to tell this story. It's kind of off the topic, but it isn't. Um, I, recently, I read this, uh, you know, we were preparing the news, and there was a story about a dress code in a, a school in Pennsylvania for the girls for their, you know, commencement. And the girls were being given very sexist instructions about what they should do with their you-know-whats and all that stuff. And the boys were told to just dress relaxed. And this girl protested, and her mother was upset. And they put something on Facebook, and before you knew it, the school board pulled back. Now, this is so much in alignment, and, uh, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I think this is a critically important issue. When I was a young person, when I, I was nine years old, I was threatened with expulsion from elementary school for standing up for certain things and against certain things during the McCarthy period when people were being arrested for what they thought. And when I was 16, I went and I wrote a letter to the New York Times about the nuclear proliferation. And that, in marching around the White House with 13 other students, got me expelled. And there was no protest, nothing, zero. There was no Facebook, there was no internet, there was no nothing. And, uh, and I, am, I am so, I cried when I read this thing about, you know, this, this girl, that she got so much support and transgender people are getting support. It, it was so different then, Larry. And I'm so glad that you gave those examples from your experience because people, guys, if not now, when? You know what I mean? This is, we, there is so much freedom that we have now. There is so much power that we have through social media to spread what we believe in. It wasn't, it wasn't always like this. And, and we have a lot to be grateful for to the people who came before us, like uh, the women's suffrage movement. You know, we, we didn't even have a vote 100 years ago. Well, that's exactly right. You know, my wife is a historian of uh, Florence Nightingale, who was one of the uh, uh, most famous women in Victorian times, uh, aside from Queen Victoria, probably the most famous. Yes. And she uh, started uh, secular uh, nursing in the Western world and brought it to preeminence and respectability. Uh, and I, my wife, Barbara, and I have often talked, what could Florence Nightingale have done with Facebook? You know. Oh! I, I, it, it it really boggles your mind. She, you know, wrote ten thousand letters. It's the biggest collection in the British Library of personal letters. What could this woman have done with social media? We, we really uh, are blessed with this uh, option today, and I think most people don't realize how sensational the difference it can make uh, in our reformation of the things that need changing. 
so true. And I think we're seeing the result of it even when people aren't conscious of it because more and more people are standing up. Well, there was this other guy who was going to give a, uh, he was the valedictorian and he wanted to come out as gay and he was shut up. But it got on Facebook. Now, they, uh, he, they, they still didn't let him speak, but other people heard him. I, you know, it's happening. It's, it's, it's part of the fabric of the inner revolution that we have these means. So you know, I would, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to add that uh, uh, this is a definite form of oneness that uh, many people are taking advantage of uh, now. The kind of oneness that I uh, am uh, putting forward in the book, One Mind, is not exactly electronic uh, or digitally driven. It's another kind of uh, uh, oneness which operates at the level of consciousness uh, and, uh, and doesn't require a smartphone. I was just going to get to your next inter-revolutionary stance. <laughs> Be, I mean, and, you know, I, every, everything that I read about Larry Dossick said, yes, yes, I agree. I so agree. I really agree with that. You know, it's like, uh, you know, you're talking about not only are we one with each other, but we're all one with something greater than ourselves. And you're a scientist. Can you start telling us about that inter-revolutionary stand and... What you're trying to say? Well, one thing I discovered when I began to uh, educate, to self-educate uh, after I graduated from uh, medical school and postgraduate medical training, was to read a body of evidence which I didn't even know existed in medical school. It had to do with uh, consciousness research, where researchers of the highest caliber, genius-level researchers. Uh, be began over a hundred years ago to poke around in areas which we now call ESP, telepathy, clairvoyance, precognition, and so on. I was astonished by that. I had been led to believe that this was just a crazy area, which if you ventured into it, it would do nothing except wreck your career. Uh, <laughs> I, I found that was not true, however. And uh, one of the things that uh, I was heartened by was to discover that some of the greatest uh, people in contemporary science, particularly in the field of quantum physics in the 20th century, had actually believed these things which I had been told were nonsense. Uh, people like Erwin uh, Schrodinger and Max Planck, the, fa the, the father of quantum mechanics, for goodness sakes, believed that consciousness in the world was fundamental and that matter was derived from consciousness. Now, uh, th 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 this uh, is a tradition of thought that has been uh, rejected in modern science. But there are thousands of studies now that support this point of view. And because of the experiments and the level, the, the, the level of competence of the people who have actually stood up for this point of view gave me an enormous courage to take a stand with them. And so I was able to say, look, you may... You may object to my points of view, but I stand with Schrodinger and Max Planck and Carl Jung and William James and many others who were pillars of wisdom in this culture, not just in psychology, but in hard science as well. So I just want to say that this point of view that I've written about in one mind uh, is not a fringe idea. It's just been shoved aside and, and forgotten. And I'm just trying to stand up for the evidence and people's experience that experiences that say this is really the way the universe works and people's experience i'm so glad you said that because you give examples of uh, which we all have that we know things that we shouldn't know 
that we pick up people's feelings, that we know what's going to happen. Or, uh, you know, my grandmother was 13 years old and lived in Warsaw because she, you know, grew up in a Jewish, uh, you know, shtetl, a little town. And she had to leave and she, all of a sudden she knew her father had died and she made that trip back and he had just died. I mean, you know, this is, why do we have to throw away what we know just because of what we think? Well, I think we all suffer from some sort of cultural hypnosis. Yeah. Uh, it's so subtle that you don't know it's uh, happening to you. But if you uh, look at your life across decades, you can see that society says that some things are permissible to think and some, some aren't. Uh, if you went back, let's say, into medieval times, you know, this stuff that we condemn now as ESP and that sort of thing was so common, it, it didn't even raise any eyebrows. Uh, but with the scientific revolution, we threw all that aside, focused on matter and energy and so on, and we came out at the other end with uh, uh, a, a very anemic view of who we are uh, as conscious human beings. Uh, I think we're cycling out of that now. Uh, there's no going back. The reason is uh, that the database is just so profound and overwhelming that uh, those of us who believe in the potency of consciousness in the world, is just, we're going to win the battle. The reason we are is because we have the evidence on our side. And also, we are at such a point in our history where it is absolutely crucial that we wake up. Uh, I think our future as a species depends on uh, this new view of consciousness for reasons we could go into. Yes, amen. And I want us to go into that. In fact, uh, in a couple of minutes, we're going to go to break, and then I'd really like you to talk about that. But first, why don't you give the full name of your book to the listeners? Because I, can, I have a memory like a sieve, so I wouldn't even try to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, the title is One Mind. Uh, the subtitle is How Our Individual Mind is Part of a Greater Consciousness and Why It Matters. Yeah! The why it matters, we're going to get to in a minute. But, you know, I had a thought when you were sharing, Larry, which was that, um, you know, religion and the predominance of superstition and magical thinking, which we still see uh, sometimes in our society, I think that they cause so much damage uh, to humanity that when we discovered science, we had a new toy and we threw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, and there is a fear of going back into that mindlessness of just, oh, it's thunder, so the gods are speaking, you know, the, mm -hmm. oh, God is snoring, you know, and, there, and we, we have a tendency to think in very dualistic terms. We don't see the complexity of what is. We don't think in an integrative way, and we probably were scared to go back to anything that looked remotely like spirituality and mysticism because, you know, then we'd back, be back to, uh, you know, putting Galileo in prison uh, you know, for having the scientific uh, thinking. So, uh, you know, there may be fear on both sides, you know, uh, fear the, the scientists may fear the people who are spiritual because mm -hmm. of what they might do and, you know, and the nonsense that sometimes gets uh, put forward and into the name of spirituality. And spiritual people are kind of, have been put down by scientists and kind of shrink back from actually thinking. But we need both. You know, we need faith, but it doesn't have to be blind. So, right. We don't have to park our analysis and logic and give up on intellectualism. That can be part of it. That's but we've right. drifted over to a severe 
uh, one-sidedness in all this, and it's time to correct it. That's right. We are whole people, and we need whole thinking. So we are going to take our next and last commercial break, but uh, stick with us, because when we come back, we're going to find out more about why it matters that we are one, because that is the crucial thing, isn't it? So stick around. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Revolutionize your life and your world with a new attitude and a new way of being. Learn how at www.bethgreen.org. At Beth's website, you will find effective tools, processes, teachings, and more to help you become the person you want to be and co-create the world you want to live in. Sign up for Beth's newsletter and get a free PDF of her comprehensive book, Living with Reality, a manual for living with real answers and proven tools. Book a private 15-minute consultation with Beth that will astound you with its depth and transformative power. Learn about Beth's other books, YouTube channel, School of Intuitive Counseling, music, upcoming workshops, trainings, and remarkable community. The Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which offers all kinds of help, including low-fee counseling and free support. The inner revolution requires us to heal our hearts and awaken our minds. Find both at Beth's website. Again, that's bethgreen.org. The Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You're tuned in to Inside Out, Voice of the Inner Revolution, with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Now, back to Inside Out. Hi, welcome back to Inside Out. Before we take another step, I'd like Larry to give out his website. I yes, uh, thanks, Beth. It's uh, uh, LarryDossieMD.com. LarryDossieMD.com. And Dossie is spelled D-O-S-S-E-Y, by the way. Yes. And if you forget how it's spelled, you can always go into the Inside Out host page and look at the guest, and you'll see Dossie, D-O-S-S. Because if it were me, I'd say, now, did he say it had any or that it didn't have any? Because <laughs> 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 that's the way I am. Uh, and it's not age. I've always been like this. So I'd like you to now talk about a little bit more about your book and why you think it matters that we are really one and part of something bigger than ourselves. Well, the main reason it uh, matters is that nature has designed us this way. Uh, you know, you can invoke the creator or whatever to mm-hmm. uh, fill in the blanks about nature, but nature did not design us to be alone. And I, I think that we have lost that message, particularly in Western democratic cultures such as ours, where we have made an obsession of individuality and so-called personhood. And, you know, to get ahead in this yeah. existence, you have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. So I'm all for honoring personhood and individuality and, and uh, maturity and all of that, but... Uh, this coin has another side to it, which we have absolutely prohibited, and it's the recognition of the way that we interact and connect at a consciousness level with other people. 
the data shows that people who have an overriding sense of uh, isolation and individuality uh, are not as healthy uh, as uh, people uh, who feel otherwise. Uh, they are not as creative, uh, and uh, they pay a price for this overwhelming sense of isolation and individuality. Uh, I think we should uh, focus on both sides of who we are. Uh, as long as we focus almost entirely on, on individuality, we will cut ourselves off from a kind of human experience that's very widespread, but that is highly criticized. Uh, things like sharing thoughts at a distance, mm -hmm. uh, sharing physical symptoms from someone else who uh, we're very emotionally close to. Mm -hmm. That can't happen. That's that woo-woo mm -hmm. sort of stuff nobody mm -hmm. mentions. <laughs> uh, I have a file drawer of uh, letters from people all over the United States and Europe who tell me that they're happy to know that they're not crazy mm -hmm. and have felt extremely stigmatized for even mentioning sharing thoughts at a distance or physical symptoms or precognitive dreams about what will happen in the future and so on. These people pay a price unless we honor that side of human existence, then our personal existence will not have coherence. It will no longer make sense. So we need this uh, recognition of oneness with other people basically to keep sane uh, as, uh, as human beings because this is an essential part of who we are. Yes, it's, uh, it's true. It is literally true that we can't hurt someone else without hurting ourselves. And we don't recognize that. We don't recognize that on a conscious level, but we recognize it on a feeling level. When right. we are cruel or hurtful to others, it makes us sick. It well, that, that's literally true. And I, I want to use this term oneness not as a poetic uh, or symbolic uh, or in a metaphorical sense, but as something that is really literal. Yes. Uh, one thing I'm that has made me sensitive to this uh, issue is that uh, I, I'm an identical twin. And uh, my twin brother and I have shared uh, thoughts and physical symptoms and feelings and emotions uh, at a great distance uh, all of our life. Uh, we, we just simply call it twin stuff and uh, get on with it. But for a lot of people, uh, they pay a price for going public with these kinds of things. Yes. Uh, my wife is a twin also, so... Oh, my goodness. Uh, our, our, our household has been kind of a twin laboratory <laughs> <laughs> over the years. Uh, and uh, it's been interesting to me to look at the data and the research that uh, points to why these things happen, not just in twins, but for other people. And I, I, I'm, I'm proud to say that love comes into this. People who have loving, distant relationships and have a deep sense of compassion for other people are just simply more tr more prone to experience these one-mind events in their life than people who uh, are burdened with a sense of total isolation and individuality. So there's yes. a lot of spiritual issues that crop up here, among which you've already mentioned, uh, issues having to do with healing, uh, which I, if I may make a shameless advertisement please, about, please I've written do. three books about the role of compassion and love and distant healing, and the role of loving, compassionate prayer to catalyze this sort of thing. A book called Healing Words was uh, uh, on the New York Times list for a while and sort of brought this to the attention of a lot of people in medical schools. So there are a lot of reasons why this matters. 
healing, creativity, uh, mental health, and even physical health are just a few of the reasons why it's important. You know, when I can't sleep, I have to wake up James and ask him what's bothering him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, literally, 99% of the time, if I can't sleep, it's because he's upset about something that he's sleeping through. <laughs> well, there you are. And it's really true. There's another side of this, too, which I know you also talk about, it's, uh, which is the oneness as you know, the fabric of our world. Um, I, I was given an aphorism. I have a, a little book called uh, God's Little Aphorisms. And one of them is you can't clean the air over one house in Los Angeles. And I think that just as you've talked about, you know, this individualism and and not recognizing that we are both individuals and part of, uh, you know, the oneness, that um, we, even in the spiritual movement, the spiritual movement is just as ego-based as the rest of our society. In the spiritual movement, we are so obsessed with our personal salvation. Oh, I want to, you know, ascend. Or I'm going to get over the, the wheel of samsara or whatever it is. And I, my inner voice that has taught me everything I know pretty much said to me, there is no personal salvation. Well, I didn't like that. But I said, well, why not? You know, because there is no person. And I asked who I was and God told me to look in the stream and said, you are the drop of water that's different from all the rest. And I really got it that because what you're saying is so true, that if someone is pissing in the stream upstream from me, it's going to impact me. Whether people are unhappy, people are angry, people are stressed, uh, we, every one of us feels it. And then in addition to that, we have literally one world. You cut down the trees in the Amazon, and what happens to your weather? See, it's, it's a, you know, what you were talking about earlier about how critical it is that we really get our oneness and stop making it just like a Sunday spiritual service kind of like, oh, yes, we are one, and then I'm going to you know, go be my normal self the rest of the time. Yep. It's, it's destroying us. It's destroying, it has destroyed us on, an, on economic levels when we're just given to greed, and it has destroyed us, uh, you know, on the very real sense of our actual, our... Um, our environment, and global warming and climate change. Well, I think unless we get this uh, business of being connected uh, uh, right, we don't have a future as a species. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think that uh, this is the ultimate uh, planetary rationale for developing a sense of interaction. You, you, you know, Alice Walker, the great uh, novelist, said that anything we love can be saved. Uh, I think you could turn that around and say, if we don't love it, we're going to lose it. Mm. And I think it is only through this sense of interconnectivity, not just with other human beings, but with all living things on this earth that yes. represents our best chance of making it uh, as a species. Uh, I've even come out uh, in favor of revising the golden rule, yes. uh, which has a, 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 an expression in all the world's great religions. I think we ought to update it from do unto others as you would have them do unto you to something like this. Be kind to others because in a deep sense, they are you. Yes. And there is a huge difference here. And uh, what we're talking about here is fiddling with the, some of the major uh, premises of some of the great religions in the world. And I think that in large measure, 
on this business of connectivity uh, and interconnectedness and oneness, they are due for a major revision. Oh, yes. And, you know, the, our religions themselves are, have been separating us instead of bringing us together. By the way, I have a version of what you said about the doing unto others, which is, I am not my brother's keeper. I am my brother. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. And that, that came to me from God, too. I have to tell you, I'm not that smart. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't believe we're coming to the end of this show. Uh, and so please tell us again the name of your book, your website. Well, the, the book is uh, called One Mind, How Our Individual Mind is Part of a Greater Consciousness and Why It Matters. My website is LarryDossyMD.com. Yes. Well, I have enjoyed talking to you so much. It has been such a pleasure. And uh, uh, there's such a uh, a nice relatingness about you. You know, you're not you don't come on like some egomaniacal spiritual teacher who's going <laughs> to <laughs> trying to prove to us how much superior to us that you are. And it's refreshing and it's very much from the oneness and I just love you. Well, it takes one to know one. Give yourself a pat on the back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh thanks. So we are going to now have James tell us um, sure. what's coming up, and then we'll do a very brief wrap-up. Sure. And by the way, I, too, feel a great kinship with you, Larry. So, thanks, James. <laughs> okay, our next edition of Inside Out will be Blending Spirituality and Activism, The Message and Journey of James O.D., renowned conscious activist. As children, many of us have felt called to do something to help our world. Some became dedicated activists, but many of us became discouraged or burnt out from the anguish and the anger of the movement itself. That was me. That was me. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, then, some, then some of us found a new way. One such person is James O'Dee, former president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, the Washington office director of Amnesty International, author, philosopher, and international peace worker. James is joining host Beth Green to talk about his latest book, The Conscious Activist, where he describes his own journey from mysticism to outrage to a mature blending of his spirituality and his commitment to help. James is calling us to work on ourselves and face the suffering of the world and to learn to act from the insight gained from the depths of compassion. The inner revolution is the movement of people to change the world from the inside out. So meet James O'Dee, who is doing just that and lighting the way for others to do the same. So please tune in and call in. And now, the closing words. You know, I just realized that I didn't even give our callers a chance to call. I know you've been listening. <laughs> I've hogged this guest for the entire, <laughs> the entire interview. But we, were, the, we, we were in the flow, Beth. We were in the we flow. Were in the flow. We were very much in the flow. But what I would like to share as, as a close, you know, uh, Larry was, is talking about how we are part of something greater than ourselves, you know, the one mind. And it is so true. The one mind has spoken to Larry, has spoken to me, has spoken to James, has spoken to thousands, hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many of us on this planet who are hearing the same message. Guys, it's the zero hour. Let's get it together. Let's overcome our ego-based behavior, not just for the sake of others, but most deeply and profoundly for the sake of ourselves. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us today, and we'll see you next week. 
Thank you for making us a part of your week. Listen for the next edition of Inside Out, Voice of the Inner Revolution with Beth Green and James Maynard next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Think outside the box and have a great week.